Welcome to TIFF Talk, sponsored by Endogastric Solutions, a podcast that interviews physicians and real-life patients about the most common gastrointestinal disorder, GERD, commonly known as chronic acid reflux. Listen to patients and physicians interact, break down the disease from different perspectives, and learn how taking the next step in your treatment can change your life. For our audio listeners, you can see visuals on our YouTube channel at GERD Help. The TIF procedure may or may not be appropriate for your health condition. Only your doctor can explain the benefits and risks of all treatment options. Results may vary. Visit GERDHelp.com for more clinical data. The TIF procedure for reflux was developed by Endogastric Solutions Incorporated. Good evening, Facebook. Welcome to our TIFF Talk tonight. Tonight we have Dr. Keith Domey joining us and my colleague, Amber Berman. Thank you so much for being here. Before we get started, I wanna tell you a little bit about uh, Dr. Domey. He is a board certified general surgeon at National Park Medical Center in Hot Springs, Arkansas with over 20 years of clinical experience. He earned his medical degree from the University of Wisconsin in Madison and completed his residency at Loyola University Medical Center in Chicago. Dr. Thome practices the full scope of general surgery, specializing in minimally invasive and laparoscopic surgical procedures. His experience also encompasses trauma and critical care surgeries, vein, thyroid, vascular surgeries, and acid reflux and GERD procedures, including the TIF procedure. Welcome, Dr. Thome. Hi, thank you. Happy to be we here. We're so glad you're joining us tonight. Uh, we've got you know our viewers on uh, wanting to learn more about TIFF and GERDS. So let's just jump right in. Um, Dr. Thomay, you know, can you go ahead and just kind of talk to us about where it is and and you know, kind of tell us you know the atypical and typical symptoms? Sure. Uh, most common, a, a patient will come into the clinic and acid reflux, and that's what GERD is gastroesophageal reflux disease. It's acid from the stomach going up the esophagus and going past a barrier, which is a gastroesophageal uh, valve. And usually there's a valve there. And for some people that valve's not working anatomically. And so acid goes up their esophagus and causes symptoms. Sometimes that acid goes all the way up to the mouth People have acid in the back of their mouth or that acid is aspirated in the lungs, they cough, uh, asthma-like symptoms at night. So uh, there's a whole lot of different types of symptoms, but generally uh, the most common is what people call is acid reflux. Thank you. And then I know, you know you've got a ton of patients, you've done a bunch of these surgeries. Um, before you head to surgery, you know, what are some of the symptoms and what are your recommendations for managing your GERS, such as like lifestyle modifications, activities? Right, so the, the first patients who come in who've just been dealing with it, let's say for a month or two, uh, let's say they're in their 20s or 30s. I mean, not, it's not surgery for everybody. They obviously can do simple things like not eat late at night before they go to bed, not eat big meals, uh, put their, their bed up on a little two-inch block to help just anatomically so the acid doesn't go up towards the throat. 
besides all the over-the-counter medications, everything from antacids to proton pump inhibitors to H2 blockers. And um, what, I guess, mainly do um, your patients try first? So they do some food and lifestyle modifications. And then when do you kind of realize, okay, these are not working, what do we do next? Well, as a surgeon, to be honest, by the time they come to me, they're usually referred by the primary care physician. Some walk in straight, which is certainly fine, but they're usually already on proton pump inhibitors. And that's the number one treatment in the United States. What's interesting is that the FDA only approved these proton pump inhibitors for only like two months. But the most of the patients who come in have been on them for years. And the most common patient is not on it every day. They'll take it maybe three or four times a week, but there's some who are on it every day. And uh, we'll probably talk about it later, but to the people listening to this talk, these proton pump inhibitors, which decrease the amount of acid in your stomach, doesn't change the pH, but decreases the amount of acid, they have effects to the brain, like Alzheimer's in the, in the long run, to your bones, affects your heart, you know, your, your kidneys. So they are not like simple medications that don't harm your body. Over a long term, they can harm your body. And we'll be talking about a surgical procedure to take you off those medications and to stop acid reflux. And that's kind of a good segue um, with the long-term use of PPI. I know a lot of people are concerned about that. Um, but can you also talk about what unmanaged GERD can lead to? Um, April is esophageal cancer awareness month. And so I wanted um, to just kind of talk a little bit about unmanaged GERD and what that can lead to. Long-term acid reflux past the gastroesophageal junction, which is where the esophagus meets the stomach, can cause irritation of the lower esophagus. Usually we don't see it high up in the esophagus, usually lower. And with long-term irrit irritation from that acid, it causes changes in the cells. And when you have changes in cells, sometimes it'll cause it to be pre-malignant. And we biopsy that area looking for Barrett's esophagitis. Barrett's esophagitis is pre-malignant cells. It doesn't mean everybody with Barrett's is going to get esophageal cancer, but they have a 14% higher chance than the average person. So it's something we monitor through these biopsies to find out you know, whether they have abnormal mucosal. To answer your question, long-term acid reflux changes the surface of the esophagus distally and can lead you to a high of esophageal cancer in time. And like I said, since April is Esophageal Cancer Month, um, could you just kind of touch on what raising awareness uh, about esophageal cancer means to you? Well, to me personally, I've had two uncles die of esophageal cancer. That's not what made or get me what's interested in, in acid reflux. Um, what's a, why I personally got into acid reflux and try to be an expert in that is there's so many Americans with it's unbelievable it's almost like I'm not as bad as being obese but it is around it's almost people walking down the street have some acid 
acid reflux and, and people have it sometimes daily as a lifestyle limiting issue. So cancer and uh, it's something to be aware of. Uh, the percentages of esophageal cancer are growing, growing in the world and, and uh, something to be aware of. Thank you for that. And, and we like to try to, you know, promote awareness and, and for people to, to really take um, their GERD seriously. And I know you do too. Um, as people are suffering from GERD, can you talk a little bit about um, the tests that are used to diagnose GERD and, and some of your recommendations there in your workup? The number one test is an EGD, a scope of the stands for esophageal gastroduodenoscopy. We scope, but it's basically a scope down the mouth, down the esophagus, through the stomach, and in the duodenum. And you're put under, and it only takes like 10, 15 minutes, an IV, a little medication, uh, no risk to it at all. And look at the junction of the esophagus in the stomach, uh, see if there you have a hiatal hernia. Make sure you don't have a gastric ulcer or gastritis. Make sure the duodenum's okay. That's the number one workup for people. With, there are other workups, of course. Uh, everything from where we put a computer chip on the esophagus, just above the GE junction, and that measures acid reflux uh, over a few days. You have this monitor on your on your belt and you push the button every time you think that you have acid reflux and uh, then we correlate that with what really happens in the esophagus whether you're getting acid reflux. Uh, there are other studies, uh, manometry which is the pressure and um, I could go on and on but there's a number of com companies coming out with even newer technology at looking all that and uh, we're trying to be right on on top of all that at National Park Medical Center right now. Wonderful. And, and kind of before we um, I'm going to hand it over to my colleague, Amber, who has some questions from our Facebook audience. Thanks, Karen. So Dr. Thomay, we have a question from Susan. She said, I have GERD, but I don't know any of the symptoms. I have acid reflux, but none of it bothers me. What are the symptoms? I know you talked about some of those symptoms already, but could you maybe talk about why someone could have GERD but not experience reflux or some of those symptoms you talked about earlier? Well, the good thing is not having symptoms is, is the best, but obviously you can have acid going up your esophagus with no symptoms, but causing irritation. Now, whether that needs to be treated or not, uh, most people wouldn't even know that they have that. But if you knew you had esophagitis with no symptoms, it's probably best to have that treated. Like we talked about long-term acid reflux, irritating the distal esophagus could put you at a slightly small higher risk for esophageal But other things we look at is, well, are you waking up at night coughing from aspiration in your lungs? Uh, getting pneumonia from that or other issues like that. So um, obviously in medicine and surgery, we like to treat the more symptomatic, uh, the more mild, less symptomatic, uh, unless a bad case can be treated medically. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, that makes sense. And speaking of those kind of atypical symptoms, we have a question here. Could ear problems be the result of reflux? It is not first thing to think of as an ear problem. Obviously, the eustachian tubes through the ear and connect to the oral pharynx if, I, if they're irritated by acid going up. But that would have to be a very bad case. Uh, I would lean towards middle ear infections and those issues not being from yeah, acid. Reflux. That makes perfect sense. Um, we have one more question here. Uh, my parents have GERD. Should I worry? Is it hereditary? It's probably hereditary, yes. Um, in general, pepatidal hernias, which is basically a, a muscle weakness, a hole in the muscle, the diaphragm, where the, the stomach's coming above the diaphragm, uh, that's generally heretic. And uh, acid reflux generally is too. Got it. Is there anything um, a patient could do preventatively if, if they know their parents have GERD? Anything they could avoid, maybe foods to avoid or? Well, they'll find yeah. out in time what foods they, they like or not. But, but generally, the one thing that no one ever talks about in all these tip talks is you know, in women and men who are in high school playing different sports and get hit in the abdomen and that pressure has to go somewhere in the weakest spot might be the GE junction, and that might form hyal hernia. So, you know, we talk about hereditary, but just regular uh, activities as a young person or automobile accident or, you know, you're belted in. So there are so many factors that could cause that, but. Yeah, thank you. That, that so many things you don't think of that you just do in your mm -hmm. normal day to day that could potentially have an impact. That is so true. Uh, I, I didn't even think about sports you know, athletes in high school and so forth that no one ever brings that up. Thank you for that, Dr. Thome. Um, and now, you know, now that we're back, let's, let's talk about what options are available to treat GERD. Um, you know, maybe PPIs, you know, Nissen, TIF, any of the qualifications, you know, what drives patients to move with, towards surgery? Sure. Uh Stages of acid reflux GERD obviously are treated with different stages versus medical. Um, proton pump inhibitors, uh, you can get those over the counter. You can get stronger doses from your physician. Uh, over the counter, 20 milligrams in general. Uh, people take that once a day. So I would say start with that on an empty stomach so the medicine is absorbed better. Uh, I, antacids is a very old-fashioned good way to deal with both gastritis and acid reflux it that people don't realize will change the pH which is really important pump inhibitors just decreasing the amount of acid so the next stage of people with gastritis and acid reflux the combination of a proton pump inhibitor and and acids that works really good the uh, patients who come through our emergency room throwing up blood from really bad ulcers or really bad disease of some sort, th those combinations will usually take care of it. So I I'm a big proponent of those two. When you, when you get to a certain point and medications are not working and you have to be in on it for more than a few months, then it, start, 
it's time to start thinking about possibly a, a surgical procedure. Now, the gold standard that we all talk about is a Nissen fundoplication. Nissen fundoplication, which is a wrapping of the stomach surgically. Now, in the open, in the old days, you used to make an incision and go in there and do it with your hands and make a new, basically, higher pressure point where the esophagus meets the stomach. Nowadays, we do it all laparoscopically with a TV scope, but it's still a big procedure. And that is an option. One of my partners does it very well. I do them, but I try to stay away from it because I think it's days. There are other options, and one of them is TIF, transoral application. And that's why we're here today. I do that. There are many GI doctors and surgeons across the United States that do that. And what that pertains, the scope, the EGD that we talked about earlier, down the mouth, down the esophagus, and we're able to build a new valve because acid reflux is an anatomical problem. The valve there is not working, acid's going up. So we build a new valve right below the diaphragm. It takes us about 45 minutes, uh, same day surgery, minimal discomfort after the operation. And the biggest thing about the TIF procedure is I tell them, well, the worst thing about this is the diet that you have to be on for at least a, a month. So um, it's not life-threatening. People don't have horrendous hospital stays and complications. It's a very safe procedure that's very effective. Now, the st statistically, started a long time ago in 2005, but roughly about five years ago, the company redid all their, their equipment, taught the surgeons and GI doctors better. We picked better patients to do it. The results are really better. So the company will say 80% success rate, somewhere in that stage, 80 to 85. But I think it's even better than that. And uh, even the ones that possibly may fail, less medication, or they can once in a while get a redo TIF maybe years later. You're burning no bridges. Uh, none of the problems of those medication bin or laparoscopic procedures. None of the uh, problems with belching, uh, possible chronic pain, all the other issues that occur with those. So I'm very happy providing TIF for people with chronic GERDs on medications and trying to get them off the medications. It's a safe, effective way of doing it. I think it's a 90% success rate. And uh, that would lead us to the next point, the next level, is those who have acid reflux in a and that, that becomes a little more complicated. So hiatal hernias that are real small can be dealt with with TIF just by itself. And each patient's individualized. And sometimes it's a great choice for the younger patient, just do that and that's how it goes. For the average patient with a moderate size hiatal hernia, three centimeters up to six centimeters, we'll laparoscopically TB scope into the abdomen, fix a hiatal hernia. Different surgeons do different things to fix a hiatal hernia. I use an absorbable mesh, works great. 
Um, other surgeons just use sutures, but whatever, they fix the hiatal hernia and then do the TIF at the same time. Uh, the whole operation and the TIF take about hour and a half. 50% of the people stay in the hospital overnight. 50% go home right away. You're a little sore right at the sternum here because it's a true operation. You're, you're operating there, you're suturing, you're putting mesh in there. So, but it's a great result. What's, what's interesting is multi-analysis papers on this by other surgeons and GI doctors is that the acid reflux success rate is even better on the combined than just the TIF alone. Not to scare you away from the TIF because it's really good, but when you have the combined, it really helps for acid reflux. What would you say, uh, Dr. Thomey, um, I guess is the probability that a person does have a hernia um, larger than two centimeters and would need uh, the concomitant procedure or the TIF in hiatal hernia repair? Every surgeon and GI doctor I talk to uh, give me different reports. When I talk to surgeons, it appears to be more than 50%. And uh, the ones, you know, obviously when you have a hiatal hernia and this acid reflux and G-junction is not supported, they are usually more symptomatic and it's more of an issue. And maybe that's why we see more often as a surgeon, more hiatal hernias uh, with the acid reflux. And probably the GI doctors see a little less than we do. Uh, before we get into kind of recovery and, and you know, a life after a TIF procedure, um, I'm going to bring it back to Amber. It looks like we have some more questions from our audience. We do. Uh, we have a few here. So um, a couple about symptoms again. And Mimi is asking, I sometimes have problems swallowing. Could that be GERD? It possibly could be um, if acid reflux is bad and chronic and is going up to the oral pharynx at night, most likely it's at night. It can happen during the day too, but most likely at night. It can cause irritation in the cricopharyngeal region and uh, there can be some, some very mild stricture there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've, I've... Now, now, a TIF is not the first answer to that. The, First answer would be to do a scope and look at the lining and possibly dilate that with a balloon to help that. But uh, in, in the long run, if you kept following that patient and you really thought the acid reflux was the issue, then a TIF would be a great potentially. Uh, solution yeah. to that. Excellent, thank you. Uh, we have another question about symptoms. I have GERD and just about everything I eat bothers me. I vomit on a regular basis in the morning. Should I be worried about this? Anybody vomiting every morning should be worried. Uh, we all as normal humans shouldn't be waking up vomiting. So you need a, to see your primary care physician, your GI physician or myself surgeon and have that looked into. A EGD would probably be the first uh, kind of tests that you would want to see what's going on, but no one should be vomiting. Yeah, it's a great recommendation of next steps. It's important to get ahead of it. 
Uh, we have one more question from Isaac, and I think you touched on this a little bit earlier. If someone had traditional anti-reflux surgery in the past, but is still experiencing GERD symptoms, is TIF an option? There's times I will do a scope for someone who has acid-like reflux uh, symptoms, and they've had a Nissen fungification previous operation for that. And we go down and try to find out what's going on. Every patient's different. So their Nissen can fall apart. Uh, they could have a hiatal hernia with the Nissen above the diaphragm. There's so many different anomalies. So the answer is you just need to work up uh, to see what's going on and then the correct solution. But what you're probably really getting at is, can a TIF be done on a Nissen? And the answer is yes. Got it. Thank you for simplifying it in that way. <laughs> Thank you. And, and we also get the question, Dr. Thomey, is can I get the TIF procedure if I have Barrett's esophagus? I wonder oh, yeah, that's a great question. And absolutely. And so I've gone to many of these medical surgical conferences and over the last three years, it was sort of like, you know, if we do this procedure, is it, can you prevent Barrett's esophagitis? I'm quite sure you can. Uh, the studies are still out to say it. And so I can't talk to the audience who's listening today and say, absolutely, I'm sure of this, but I, I have good indications that if you do the TIF procedure, make a new valve, stop the acid reflux, there's no irritation of distal esophagus, therefore those cells go back to normal. And uh, I have seen in my own career that we go back down and we do the biopsies multiple times and there's no Barrett's anymore. And the bigger university hospitals are coming out with those studies. And I don't think they're out yet. So I can't say for sure that's uh, the data, but in my experience, yes, that's so. Thank you for that. And, you know, once once they have the TIP procedure, you know, what is the recovery like? What's the recovery like if they just get the TIP procedure without hiatal hernia repair? And then is it different, you know, if they have the, the hernia repair concomitantly with the TIP? Well, I like to describe things on zero to 10 scale. And if 10 is the most painful thing you've ever had in your life and burn yourself on the stove. Having a TIF procedure is like a one or two. It really isn't bad at all. The worst thing procedure is the liquid diet that you're on for a couple of weeks and then mushing for the next couple of weeks. Everybody loses 10 pounds for sure. I tell them that everybody's happy to lose 10 pounds generally. Now the combined TIF, the, the pain will range from a three to about a six, somewhere in that range. That's for about one or two days, some substernal pain, and then it just goes away in time. Some people from the laparoscopy, because you're fixing a hiatal hernia with blowing up the abdomen, will get some shoulder pain for a day. Um, that, that's really it. Um, overall, like in one month, they're really doing great. Wonderful. Can you touch a little bit on the diet? I know you've mentioned a liquid diet for a little while, but um, you know, what is, what is your protocol or what does the diet look like? I'm not as stringent as endogastric solutions in the sense that I explained 
to them why they're on this diet. The reason they're on a liquid diet is we're doing this procedure and making this new valve. Now, if you saw pictures of it, and I got lots of patients to show pictures of, but it's all very swollen and edematous. So if you go home and have a steak dinner or chicken dinner, that meat's gonna get caught. And so then what happens when it gets caught? Well, everything above that meat, the liquid and everything, you're gonna start throwing that up and it's gonna come out. So then you have to go to the emergency room and then you have to have one of us put a scope down and out. Now, no one, all, no one ever talks about these gross details. Like I just, you're on a liquid diet so that we don't have to take you back to the GI department and do a scope to get the and so uh, liquids and mushy food can get by right away but you, we just don't want you eating any thick chicken steak dinners no hamburgers just yet no <laughs> um can what once a patient, you know, has had their TIF procedure, can they resume all their normal activities? Um, can they, you know, if they work out a lot and exercise, can they continue and start doing that? Well, think of it, they uh, think of it, that surgery is just by the diaphragm in an area that's sort of weak to begin with. So we don't want anybody doing anything as strenuous to that abdomen. Is walking strenuous? No. Is uh, lifting 10 pounds? Not really, but if you're doing sit-ups and that kind of anything that forces on your abs, you sort of want to stay away from that for a month. That's probably a good idea. And especially if we're doing a combined hyaluronic hernia pair and tip, you want to be very careful for six weeks. Yeah, and then have you, you know, I guess what's, what's drawing your patients towards the tip procedure and, you know, have they um, just kind of indicated, you know, how they're feeling and, and how they're feeling after their procedure? Well, that's what's so uh, amazing to be in my field and you do a TIFF and I generally see them back in two weeks, see how they're doing. I walk in the room and the first thing I go is, oh, how's the acid reflux? And I go, I don't have any. It's like, this is a great feeling. Yeah. Do I, I know we've, we've talked to many patients before and other physicians and a, a lot of them talk about how their spouse or significant other um, kind of says that they can do different things now or they can actually sleep through the night. Your patients uh, that they couldn't do before, that they can do now or they're experiencing now that they couldn't experience prior. Uh, to the well, if you, th you think about how much acid reflux affects people, everything from bad breath to burping to obviously the irritation. Uh, I can't dinner and have a Italian spaghetti dinner. I mean, it, it is unbelievable how many different things that change your lives due to acid reflux. And you have to understand that when we do the TIF procedure, not only are we stopping acid reflux, but getting you off those medications, but we're just making you back to your normal self. So think about it. The, the, 18-year-old normal person without acid reflux, technically. They still have acid reflux every once in a while, like everybody has one or episode a week or whatever. I mean, we're not saying it's completely gone, but we're changing your lifestyle so that you can be back to a normal person. 
love that. And uh, before we you know, wrap up tonight, uh, Amber, do we have any more questions from our audience for Dr. Thome? I do have a couple more. Um, I'm sorry, let me just pull it up here. So what is the success rate of TIF and how long does it last? I know you talked about you think it's higher than the 80%, but what about durability? Durability studies are coming out and they're getting better and better. So we're looking at the uh, 10 year now and, um, and very good, very few have to be redone. Um, once again, the company is pretty close to their success rate. And the nice thing about how easy this procedure is on a patient, it can be redone. You're not burning any bridges versus like the Nissen complication, the big operation, the gold standard is it's hard to redo those and it's more of a, it's more dangerous. Yeah, I love that way of explaining it, not burning any bridges. That's great. Uh, there was one more question. So do I need to lose weight before I have the TIF procedure? That's a loaded question, a great question to end it on. Uh, we know that obesity is becoming more of a problem in the United States. And I'm here in Arkansas, and the majority of the patients I do TIF on are obese. Uh, by medical standards. The company would love to have all the TIFs done with a BMI less than 35. Does that really happen in real life? No, we do some that are more. Uh, we're always encouraging weight loss. The diet after, uh, they lose 10 pounds there. So yes, it, it is better if you lose weight and, and you weigh less, but not a reason not to have it done. When people weigh more, they obviously have more comorbidities and higher issues going on, pulmonary, cardiac. We look at all those also, but uh, that, that standard of what we're operating on is, seems to be going up with good results. Thank you so much. And May, do you have any parting thoughts for our viewers before we wrap up? And, and what would you say to someone who's considering the TIF procedure? Well, the basic thought about TIF, transoral incisionless fundification, is a quick 45-minute outpatient surgery procedure that we make a new valve and prevent acid reflux. And by doing that, it can change your life. It's very safe. And to me, most importantly, because I'm not really a, a medicine type guy. I don't like give patients a lot of medicines. Man, isn't it great to be off medications? Like that, and I take everybody off their medications one week after the operation uh, uh, with their GI medications, of course, not their other ones, but uh, what, what a win-win. So that's my final summary yeah. on it. That is a win-win. Um, thank you so much for joining us tonight, Dr. Thome. If you are in the Hot Springs, Arkansas area, uh, you can find Dr. Thome at National Park Medical Center. And uh, he can also be found on our physician locator, girdhelp.com. If you are uh, viewing uh, outside of Hot Springs, you can find a physician in your area at girdhelp.com. Thank you so much, Dr. Thome. Thank you, Amber. You're welcome. Thank you for joining us and everyone have a great evening.
If you are suffering from chronic acid reflux and want more information, please visit GERDhelp.com or download our GERD Help mobile app. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of TIFF Talk. Leave your questions and comments on our social media at GERD Help. Live well, GERD free.